You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Morning, Redeemer. Uh, It's been a while since I've been with you. My name's Cody, Cody McMurray. Uh, I was a church planting resident here from about 2017 until I was launched out in 2020. If, uh, if you're good with dates and you understand kind of like situational awareness, we were sent out in February of 2020 to start Redeemer Church. And so it's been, uh, it's been a fun journey. It's been, we've, le- we've learned a lot. It's been a lot of fun. And by God's grace, uh, there is a church in Wichita Falls that is thriving, that is trying to exist to be a gospel-centered, disciple-making family. And we're indebted to, uh, to you, to this, this body that is so committed to sending out uh, the next generation to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And so just super thankful. Super thankful that Redeemer Church is a part of uh, uh, my heritage, my, my family's life. And so I uh, just sincerely want to say thank you. And I also want to say uh, happy Father's Day to all you dads. I'm super, um, super thankful for uh, fathers and what they have meant in, in my life and how they have propelled us forward as a culture and society. I, I t- I'll tell you this, one of the, the greatest blessings of my life is Evan Brooks and Cannon and um, a fourth one that's on the way right now. And um, I'm just so thrilled, so thrilled to, uh, to know them and to, to be their dad. And, and I tell you what, and most of you dads know this, that fatherhood is not always glamorous, right? It's not glamorous, but what I've learned about it is it's self-sacrificing. It's extraordinary. All real love is self-sacrificing, all, all of it. And so uh, I do things that uh, are not particularly interesting to me all the time. Uh, for instance, I, I, I cheer for poop. I cheer for poop often uh, because I'm a dad. I'm just like, yes, you did it. You, way to go. That's, a, that's amazing. I know so much about Caligo critters. I know way too much about Spider-Man and dirt you know, tracks in the backyard. Um, all these things are not particularly like on my top five interests, but uh, I, I lay down um, my preferences for my kids. And that's what all, all dads are called to do. Um, by, by the grace and power of, of our Lord. And so whenever dads flourish, societies flourish. And so keep, keep going, keep going, keep moving forward and keep uh, uh, pursuing God with all your heart, soul, uh, mind, and strength. Well, today we are in Psalm 32. Psalm 32. I'm going to kind of be in the entire psalm. This is one of the penitential psalms. So if you're into uh, stuff like that, it's basically, this is a psalm that's going straight, straight into the heart, opening it up and looking at you and saying, hey, uh, like you're a sinner (laughs) and you kind of have to deal with this. But how are you dealing with it is kind of our question. How are you dealing with the guilt of your your sin? And so I know that there's three types of people in this room because there's three types of people everywhere. Uh, people that think, you know what, I, man, I don't think I need forgiveness. I think God grades, grades on a curve. Uh, I don't think I really, uh, I don't think my sin's really that bad. And uh, I, I'm too good for this need for forgiveness, which this passage is calling us to. Or there's some people that say, I, you know what, I, I, I don't deserve forgiveness. I'm too bad. I feel too much shame. 
to, uh, I, if God only knew, and he does, and he does, and some people feel that they're too bad to receive it, or there's people in this room that know that they need for forgiveness, and they have it, and they have it. And so what this passage is actually going to try to lead us to is how you can know that you need forgiveness and how you can get it and receive it. Because what's interesting about uh, where we planted in Wichita Falls, there's a liberal arts college called Midwestern State University in Wichita Falls. And uh, we're in a cultural moment to where we're so polarized and tribalized politically, right? We're, we're in a, a hyper-political culture, hyper-political culture to where it seems like you're either super partisan or like really over it, right? Just totally over all the politics in, in, the, in the world. And what's going on in, in some, some of the uh, polarization that we have going on in, in our world is we're using guilt, we're using guilt as a weapon, Everyone's trying to make sure that you feel super, super bad about not caring about this enough or not doing this. We have this new catechesis uh, on both the right and the left of how we're supposed to operate within our, within our, our culture and what has happened because of this polarization is we're, we're all in this room and probably some, at some point or another over the last couple of years, you've looked at someone on the opposite side of the aisle, whatever, whichever side it is, and you said, I don't think they're just wrong, I think they're evil. Right, like we 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 have demonized the other side other side of the aisle to where it's almost impossible, impossible to conversate uh, about anything right now. And so, uh, and what are we doing? Whenever we say you're evil, what are we doing? We're heaping guilt on them. We're trying, to, we're trying to heap guilt on them. And so this is how the world kind of deals with this. It's how the world is dealing with it. So how does the Bible, how does God's word call us to deal with this? Because I'm dealing pastorally with a community that is riddled with shame and guilt and don't know what guilt and shame to actually feel and which one's right. So what does the Bible say and how can we dig into it and see what it says? Let's, let's go to our passage today. Verse one of chapter 32 says this. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. And so it's starting out with this foundation. It's a, the Bible's just laying out this foundation as you, you are guilty, you will experience uh, 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 the, the repercussions of your sin, which is guilt. And because of that, you need, what's interesting here, a covering. You need a covering. And, and what's so interesting about this idea of a covering is we need a covering over it no matter how big or small our sin is. Let's take the Ten Commandments real fast. Go with me to the Ten Commandments in your mind's eye. What's the one that we're really flipping about? The ninth one. You remember the ninth one? You shall not lie, okay? You know, it's just a little white lie. Not that big of a deal. Uh, I just bent the truth a little bit. We're like super, uh, and like this is one of the big 10 and we in our culture are just like, hey, you know what? It's not, that, it's not that big of a deal, but here's the reality. Whenever you lie to someone and the lie is typically always t directed towards someone or, or aimed at them at least in, in, a little, in some stretch of the imagination, whenever you lie to them, you stop treating them as a person a person that you're supposed to relate to and you're treating them as, as an object that you're supposed to manipulate and manage. And so what, is, what does lying do? What does lying do? It, it dehumanizes the people that we're engaging with and, and if you do dehumanize other people, you're actually dehumanizing yourself as well. You're becoming less and less of a person. You're not living in the flourishing that God, the creator, has designed for us to operate in, right? 
This is what happens whenever we're just flippant with a little thing like lying, like lying. We're, we're trying to manage and we're, what are we constantly doing with a lie? We're trying to constantly cover up. We don't, we don't like to just immediately repent. You know, let me be like, you know what? I lied and I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? I, I don't know why I did that. I did it because I'm broken. And we please forgive me? We, we don't do that. We say, okay, I told this lie over here and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to spin it this way to where maybe I can cover up. I can cover up that lie with this lie and then maybe it'll all go away. Oh, we're constantly calculating. We're not relating to people the way that God wants us to relate to people. We treat people as objects just with one little thing. Just with one little thing, we, we have to cover our sin with other coverings, which is typically sin. How else do we cover ourselves? How else do we cover our guilt because of our sin? Well, oftentimes we will blame people, right? It's not my fault, Sim. My parents made me this way. Culture made me this way. Society made me this way. We try to justify our sin. We say, is it really that bad? It's not really that bad. Every, I mean, everyone does it over here. Like who, who loves the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? We're, we're all in the same boat there. It's not that bad. Not that big of a deal. We slander people. We slander them by trying to deflect. And we say, you know what? Um, they're really a problem. Hurt people hurt people, right? We're, we're trying to get the attention off ourselves and trying to demonize someone else just to make ourselves feel a little bit okay. We medicate ourselves with drugs and alcohol, we try to achieve. Sometimes we say, oh man, you know what? My personal relationships over here are a wreck, but I'm crushing it in my business. I'm crushing it. What are we doing? That's a covering. That's a covering that we're trying to, to, to operate in and we're trying, to, um, uh, trying to, to, to walk in. And sometimes we need to beat ourselves up, right? You know, people, you know, people that are just like, you know what? I'm just so bad. I'm so, so terrible. And they're just constantly just feeling bad and they're like trying to tell other people. How, how bad they, and how sorry they actually feel. What is that? is that? Is that them really repenting or is that a covering? Is that a covering? Where does this impulse come from, friends? Where's this idea of a covering, having to cover over our shame and guilt come from? Well, if you know your Bibles, well, you know it comes all the way back from the beginning. Genesis 3, right? Genesis 3. What's the first thing that Adam and Eve did? The very first thing they, they did, they got out their sewing kit and they started sewing figs leaves together. This was not to put over their mantle, you know, uh, uh, over their fireplace. No, they did it to cover over their nakedness. They were exposed. They were exposed and they knew it. And they said, there's something deeply wrong and broken. What's the one thing? I cannot have this. I cannot be seen this way. I have to cover up. And so what's interesting about that is they covered up and then they hid they hid from God. And those two things are pointed out in Psalm, 20, or Psalm uh, 32. Those two things are pointed out that uh, we need our sin covered and we need a hiding place. And we need a hiding place. And wh why is this? Because we cannot tolerate, right? We can't tolerate not, having to be not being able to control the way people see us. We feel like we always have to curate our best self. We have to put our, our, our best foot forward whenever we get home from, from work or whenever we're engaging with our spouse or when we're with our gospel community or at work or whatever. We're constantly, we're constantly trying to curate how we are perceived and seen. All of this is just a covering. It's a covering for how we need to operate. And, and, and we cannot tolerate this idea of being seen in our shame and exposed. We cannot bear it. We cannot bear our shame. We cannot bear our guilt. We cannot bear being exposed and naked before anyone. Because what happens whenever we are silent, whenever we are absolutely silent, you know what happens? Look what it says in verse three. 
It says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Guilt slowly just eats away at us. And it doesn't get better over time. We either become hardened, more calloused, our conscience gets more seared, or we just slowly, slowly drift up, drift away, and we need more coverings and more coverings and more coverings to make, make our existence tolerable. The Bible is very honest about this. So what's our hope? Because this, this passage is actually talking about a blessing that can be had. A blessed bless is the man who's, who, 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 again, who the Lord does not count iniquity. Like, how do we get this blessing? Like, we need the cure. We need the antidote. Where, how do we get it? How do we get it? Well, verse five, it shows us. So go, come follow along in verse five. It says, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I did not blame shift. I did not blame someone else. I, I, I owned it that, hey, my sin is against you, God. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to who? To the Lord and you, God forgave the iniquity of my sin. And so what this, this teaches us, this teaches us in three different parts, the cure for how we cover up, how the Bible calls us to cover over our sin, how, how we can get the covering, how we can get the hiding place that we, our humanity actually needs. What's number one? Number one is, this is important, you have to be able to discern the difference between what the Bible says repentance is in what we perceive repentance is, which is sometimes self-pity. Sometimes self-pity. So you have to be able to discern the difference between repentance and self-pity. Uh, notice, notice what uh, David says, his, who his sins are against. Who his sins are against. I will confess my transgressions to the people I wronged. No, to the Lord, to the Lord. And then it says, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's kind of redundant, is it not? It's redundant. The iniquity, sometimes a synonym for that is sin. And you forgave the sin of my sin. Like, what is that about? He, he's literally just saying that. He's literally saying, you forgave the sinfulness of my sin, which, which means this, which means this. In Psalm 51, in Psalm 51, David cries out, cries out to God and he says something very, very interesting. He says in verse four, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Do you remember what David did? Church, do you remember what David did? Uh, against you and you only. He saw someone who wasn't his wife. He says, I'm gonna go nab her and, and bring, bring her into my home, committed adultery with her. And then he was like, oh man, I know who uh, who your husband is. And then he went and had him killed at the front lines. And, and he has the audacity to say, no, God, against you and you alone, have I sinned? And this, this is what this teaches us. It teaches us that real liberating repentance uh, that cleanses the conscience, that cleanses uh, our guilt, covers over our shame, is focused towards God and God alone. Is understanding that ultimately all of our sin, all of our brokenness is against God. And the trickle down effect, if we get the vertical relationship between God right, then the trickle down will mean our horizontal relationships will be restored as a byproduct, as a blessing, as a built in blessing, and owning that ultimately who I'm sending against is against God, is against God. 
And so our repentance has to be God-focused and not man-focused. Man because a lot of times our covering, those coverings that we, that we put up, there's like, man, I, I'm, I'm constantly calculating. I'm constantly trying to make sure that I'm to the point where I'm okay with everyone around me. Well, is that true repentance towards God or is that self-preservation and making sure you feel okay about yourself? Is it, is it turn and does that cleanse the conscience? Does that cleanse the conscience? Dusty calls this white knuckling your faith. You heard him say that? Heard him say that? He's like, man, I'm just constantly trying to white knuckle and like, man, can I be the best Christian I can be? Can I repent of my sins? Can I, can I do all, can I say no to the flesh and no to the pride that I'm experiencing? Can I, can I just kind of get through it for, for who? For you to prove something to yourself? to prove something to your community, to be seen as a good, faithful, moral, upright, just person within our culture and society? Is that, is that gonna cleanse your conscience? According to the Bible, no, no. Run to, run to God, run to God. Don't white knuckle. I, I, I have the privilege of pastoring a church that actually reaches a lot of uh, uh, fighter pilots in the Air Force. And so Shepherd Air Force Base is in Wichita Falls where, where Stephanie and I planted uh, our, our lives al along with our team. And, and uh, there's, I've had the privilege of getting to know just these extraordinarily amazing individuals. Uh, but I, in particular, I met a, a girl this week who's flying F-16s and uh, was a devout atheist about a month ago. And the Lord has been drawing her to herself through her peers and through uh, the word, word taught and preached and as she's been engaging, engaging with it. And I had a meeting with her this week to talk about um, her publicly confessing Christ as Lord through baptism uh, next week at Redeemer Church in Wichita Falls. And she says, Cody, I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions that I still don't have to answer, but these are kind of the three things that I boiled everything down to with the Christian faith. Number one, that my sin is against God. Number two, and this was really, really big for her, she said, ultimately, I've recognized that only Jesus, that Jesus ultimately is God. And I want to love him with, number three, I want to love him with all that I am. And like, isn't that it? Like, uh, good summer, good foundational start. Because she asked me then, right afterwards, she was like, "Well, and now fill in the blanks. What am I? What am I missing?" I'm like, "Girl, you got it. Like you, like you pretty much, like you got it. All right. Uh, your sin is ultimately against God. You, Jesus is the way to God, and you want to love God with all that you are. Man, uh, we can we can work out some things about like what God did with the dinosaurs and all that later. Like that that, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter as much. Like the the heart trajectory that you're aiming that you're aiming at is really really amazing." It's really, really amazing. I, I praise God. I praise God for that. And so what, she, what I saw in her was God-centered repentance. God-centered repentance. And she kind of confessed some of the things that she was doing, but she said, ultimately, I know that all of this was against God. So my question is, like, do you want God or do you want to be seen as covered in one way or another? Do you want him? Do you want him? Is your heart trajectory aiming towards him? Is your heart motivation a desire to follow him and to love him? Because look what's really interesting in our passage. Go down to verse nine. In verse nine, it says, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Now, you might be saying, Cody, this is why I don't like the Bible. I don't understand the Bible. I don't read the Bible because I don't know anything about horses. I don't know anything about agriculture. Why are these things actually in the Bible? Well, this is actually a really easy one to follow. 
a really easy one to follow. I don't know anything about horses either, but I get what it's trying to say. What is it saying? It's saying whenever you're on a horse, which I've never been on a horse, like really ever, um, whenever you're on a horse that wasn't attached to like a circle thing that went around, you know, like that, that's my only horse experience. But if you're like free riding, like 1883, riding around on a horse out there, uh, uh, it has that bitten bridle in, right? And if a horse sees some hay or some green grass or something it wants to eat, what is it going to do? You're going straight. It's going to go over there and I want this grass. This looks amazing. And then what do you do? You jerk, it, jerk the reins and you say, no, get back on course. Get back on course. And he says, no, I want this grass. And then you jerk it a little bit more and he's like, hey, that hurts my mouth. Stop doing that. I'm going to go over here. And then sometimes you can be like, no, no, go this way. And then what will happen? That horse will eventually be like, okay, I'm listening. I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. I, I got it. I got it. Now, does that mean that the horse is all of a sudden, the horse's heart motivation is like, I love the rider right now. <laughs> I just love, I lo now I love the rider and whatever it commands, whatever he or she commands, I'm going to do. No, no. The horse feels sorry for itself and says, I don't like what you're doing to my face and mouth and I will obey until I feel like I'm safe again and then I'll wander off again. And what God is saying is that there's some people that, whose heart's trajectory is not aimed towards me. It's just aimed at the negative consequences of their sin. Are you, Redeemer Church, are you sorry for the consequences of your sin? Are you actually sorry for your sins, that your sins are against God? What's your, what's your motivation? What are, you, what are you aiming at? I'll give you an, a quick adult example I know a guy that doesn't go to this church, doesn't go to my church, but he goes to, uh, he went to a church and married a young girl who was on the worship team at her church and uh, seemed to be a great guy, but as soon as they got married, began to emotionally and verbally abuse his, his brand new wife. And she was like, what is going on? Said, you're a different person. You're, you're completely different. I'm sorry that this is unsettling, but uh, you can probably imagine where this is going. Eventually she said, I had, I've had enough of this. I don't know who you are anymore. And she left. You know what he did? He came groveling to her and said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know what? I actually know Jesus now. I'm actually on the straight and narrow. I'm never, gonna, I'm never gonna treat you this way again. I'm never gonna do this. I'm never gonna speak to you this way again. And he did that for probably a month, a couple of weeks. But whenever the temperature began to cool down and he felt like he was in the safe zone, he went right back to it. And eventually she left. Whenever he turned and said, hey, I, I'm, I'm, I fixed everything. Well, what was that about? Did he actually repent? Is that what the Bible is saying? No, no, he, he felt sorry for himself. He was filled with self-pity. And, and that, that's not what the Bible is calling us to right here. Uh, do, do you have self-pity? You, are, you, are you sad about the consequences of your sin? Are you mourning over that your sins are against God and it's breaking the relationship that you have between yourself and the Lord? Which leads me into point number two, and this is a quick one. Real repentance gives you relational confession on an ongoing basis. In verses eight through 11 of this passage, God begins to speak. He begins to speak and he says beautiful things like, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I will be face to face with you. And this is right after verse five, where it says, if you confess your transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So it comes out of him like a reflex whenever we confess that our sin is against God and God alone. His grace infuses directly into our heart. And he says, guess what? I... 
I will, I will commune with you face to face. You will get relationship with me. That's, that's ultimately what we desire. This, this grace comes out of him like a reflex, like an absolute reflex. And it's amazing. It's amazing how this God wants to commune with us face to face, nose to nose, relationship to relationship. He wants to deal with us as a real person. And so let me ask you this. Is your confession mechanical and ritual-based? Or are you going to God like a relationship? Let, let me kind of paint the picture. Do you go to God whenever you sin? Like, God, I, I did that thing again. I'm so sorry. So sorry. I'm self-centered and all this stuff. But I know you know everything. You know, like, you know everything and you died for everything. And so just forgive me and can we move on past this, please? Or do you say, God... Lord of all that is, I, I can't even imagine what it's like to, to have to deal with me as someone that you're keeping their heart beating and their lungs breathing and their body working all the days of his life, and yet I constantly ignore you. I'm so sorry I've breached, breached our connection, I breached our relationship. Will you please Let me walk towards you. Will you guide me with your spirit? Will you saturate me in your word? Are you going to him the same way that you reconcile to a person? Are you going to Jesus as the God-man? Like a man. And and, and saying, I want to restore the relationship as you confess. Because that's what liberating repentance is actually calling us to. It's treating God as the true God-man. As the true God-man. And whenever we get this, whenever we understand this, look what happens. It says, verse 7, he becomes our hiding place. Well, how can this be? Isn't it interesting that David, David knew that he needed covering from his sin and that God himself would be his hiding place. Well, how, did, how did he know that? How can you and I know that? How can we get our ultimate hiding place in God? Dear friends, last point, don't you, don't you understand what Jesus did on the cross? See, Jesus wasn't hanged. He wasn't burned at the stake. He wasn't beheaded. Jesus was crucified. And you know what crucifixion is? Crucifixion is death through exposure. They, they nail your hands and your feet. And, and it says in John 19, I'll throw it up on the screen so you can look at it, that they divided his garments. You know what this means? They stripped him completely naked. And then they nailed his arms to to the cross so that he couldn't even cover up. He died of exposure. He got the nightmare. He got the nightmare that we, we, we would absolutely be mortified to have. He was completely naked, completely exposed. And he died that way. Why, friends? Don't you get it? Jesus was uncovered to be our covering Jesus was uncovered for you. He was uncovered to be our covering. He, was, he, he died in the dark, in the complete dark, so that in him we could, we could have our hiding place. This is what the cross teaches, teaches us. And John, John um, the Baptist, remember when Jesus came to him and said, hey, I need to be baptized. This is the beginning of his ministry. I said, I I need you to baptize me. And he said, by no means, Lord, what are you talking about? You need to be the one that baptizes me. And he says, no, 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 no. Thus, Thus is needed to fulfill all righteousness. Thus is needed to fulfill all righteousness. John the Baptist was baptizing people in the baptism of repentance. You know what that means, friends? That Jesus repented in your place. 
And what we see on the cross is that Jesus confessed, repented, lived, died, resurrected, all for you. And so we have to stop as a church to say, you know what, I gotta put on all these coverings. Yes, Jesus is my Lord, but I have to look good in front of my Christian friends. I gotta put on all these coverings. No, the greatest evidence that we believe the gospel is that we are a confessional people, that we, that we look at our sin. We're not constantly trying to manage the people around us, but we say, Jesus, Jesus, he died for me. He died for me. He repented for me. He, confe- he confessed for me. And therefore, I'm liberated I'm liberated to talk about my sin openly with my grow groups, with my gospel community, and those that are close to my sphere of influence. Why? Why? Because Jesus is the source of our salvation, not some religious ritual that we go through. Uh, There's no way that you can repent enough or be sorry enough for your sin in order to be saved. That's you trying to put a covering over. It's Christ and Christ alone. 1 John 1.9 says this, it says, if, you, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you catch that? Did you catch the, the shocking part of that? He is faithful and merciful to cover our sins. Is that what it says? He's faithful and gracious to cover our sins. Did you, is that what it says? No, he is merciful, he is gracious. But what does this say? When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He's just. Look to the justice of God who repented, who confessed, who, who lived, who died and, and rose for you. And only whenever you look to that will you be able to be liberated with ongoing Christian repentance and your guilt and your conscience will be clear because you, you, then you'll ultimately know, you know what? Jesus lived perfectly in my place, died the death I deserve to die and rose for me. My hope for you, Redeemer, who I love so dearly, is that your community at this church is filled with ongoing, liberating confession and repentance through your deep, devoted um, commitment to believing the gospel, that you are saved by Christ and Christ alone, not through some religious ritual. Let him be your covering. Let him be your hiding place. And let everything else fall by the wayside. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we celebrate, we celebrate the good news that we can be liberated, ultimately liberated by your covering, that we can, we can find our peace through you and you alone, that we are saved through the justice of God who saw, saw the depths of our sin, who you drank the full cup of God's wrath for us. Lord, may that truth penetrate the depths of our hearts so that we're never, ever the same. Fill us with your grace and with your mercy. Make us a people, make us a people that believe the gospel so much they're no longer trying to manage or cover over their sin, but they can freely confess it because of the finished work of Christ. We pray that in his name, amen.